This week, we discuss how building a business is like building your own personal utopia. Or maybe that's just a fantasy. Whatever. Let's dive in. Welcome to Startup to Last, a podcast about building profitable software businesses that are meant to last. Hi, I'm Tyler. I run a bootstrap SaaS company called Less Annoying CRM. I'm Rick. I run a software-enabled services company called Leg Up Health. What's going on, Rick? Not much, Tyler. What about you? Not a whole lot. Uh, I've kind of had a productive but like calm week. Like I'm not no hair on fire stuff. So I'm just kind of chugging through my task list. What, what have you been working on? I feel like the new world, the new word, thanks to uh, for what was formerly Ernest Capital, <laughs> is calm. calm. Like we're all calm now. I mean, it's a great word though, because how would I have said what I just said without that word? Like. It was kind of like a slow week, but not because I didn't get work done, just because I, I didn't need to get the work that I got done done right now. And I, is that like a fair, what calm means is like productive, but you don't have to be kind of? Calm has now a loaded term. It's, it's, uh, <laughs> I mean, I, I, calm to me is when I think of calm, it's like, it's a great ski day on the water. I can take a boat out and it's glass, uh, and it's pristine, and it's almost uh, like birds ch- like chirping consistently, and uh, no one else around. And so it's like it's almost utopia. That's like not far from what my w- week has been, though. <laughs> and like I talked last week about, uh, I've been working outdoor, like outside in my patio, and like it literally feels calmer. But I have gotten work done. So anyway, yeah, no, I love it. I, I mean, I think one thing that's cool about calm is it you can make it kind of relative to yourself. Um, what makes, I mean, for me, like what the calmest place on earth is at a lake with no one else there. And, you know, it's either really early in the morning and there's still dew on the, on the seats and you have to kind of wipe it off. That That's like, Oh, and I can, I can ima- take myself there just talking about it. I've never experienced that before. <laughs> One day you're going to have to come to North Carolina and come to my family's lake house out there where there, cause it's warm water and we have boats and all kinds of fun stuff. And we'll just have to like, you'll just have to come stay with us for a few days and we'll do wakeboarding and all that kind of stuff. Dude, I'm in. Yeah. I, that sounds awesome. But, um, <laughs> anyway, what have you been up to? Uh, so last week I told you that you could hold me accountable to getting leg up benefits up, uh, with, cause before it was just like, we're in beta request access. So mm-hmm. my commit was to get a marketing site up and then integrate Outseta so that someone could sign up, um, enter billing information, and also be able to log in. That is up. So if you go to legupbenefits.com, um, it says, for Utah employers, provide flexible health insurance stipends to your team members and let us help them find, use, and manage the best health insurance coverage for their family. Um, they c- people can uh, re- fill out a learn more, um, you know, collect an email address. If they click uh, log in and they have an account, they can log in. Takes them to a dashboard that's blank currently, but uh, user authentication is set up. Cool. Um, uh, you can sign up and enter in payment information if you want to. The text doesn't make any sense. So I don't expect anyone to actually go there and sign up. But you, like, if I had a customer on the phone, I could say, are you ready to sign up? Great. Go to legupbenefits.com, click sign up, and I could collect their billing information by walking them through these steps and get them on the right subscription. Awesome. Uh, it's got pricing uh, explained and then a, a benefits consultation form request. So it's definitely minimal and I will start, I'll add more to it um, over the rest of this week. Uh, but I feel pretty good. Um, 
I'm in a much yeah, better place. It looks great. I mean, oh, it, uh, is this like a, a Webflow template or something? Because it looks like you hired a professional designer to make this. Oh, don't make me blush. <laughs> I, so I use the same template that from Leg Up Health, and then just because I know how to customize stuff now with CSS, it's like I can just. I feel pretty confident just playing with Webflow and making things look good until I like it, especially yeah. if I'm inspired by another website. Gotcha. So you were inspired by your own website in this case, mostly. Yeah, I looked at um, a couple of websites that I felt that I liked and just copied design elements um, or mimic. I shouldn't say copy because I didn't copy them. I mimicked it. Yeah. And just like things that I don't see, like spacing and c little color accents. That's usually what I mimic because I don't, if I, you gave me text, I would just say, okay, it looks good. <laughs> right. Cool. So, uh, looks great. What are like, what role does this website play in the overall leg up benefits business? If you're going out and doing sales, maybe this doesn't really matter that much as long as it works. Are you going to do like paid ads or anything like that? Yeah. So, uh, this ultimately when I'm done with it, probably towards the end of this week, will be my primary sales presentation. So I've got a bunch of Google Docs currently that I use that have information on them. This page, I want to fill this home, this single page site basically up mm -hmm. with that information. Um, and then I, I think what I want to do is I want to record a video um, so that uh, people can basically request access to and give a like basically give my 15 to 20 minute pitch and uh, around why and story around why Legup Benefits exists. And I, I want to use this as a way to sort of not spend a lot of time on Legup Benefits, but have a place to send businesses that are sort of interested. Gotcha. So like the, the really interested people, it's going to be high touch and you're going to sell, but you need some kind of like, you're not qualified enough for me to pursue this with my time. Here's a low touch option for you. Yeah. Top of the funnel touch. Um, th that's the, that's the marketing site. Now, there, the the sign up and login stuff that's re to replace Google spreadsheets and manual billing that I'm doing on a monthly basis, um, and and to add what I would call more um, uh, legitimacy to the service mm -hmm. that I'm providing my existing clients. Gotcha, cool. Uh, so you mentioned you got it in Outseta, which, as a reminder, last week you were saying instead of using uh, member stack you were using at Seta, mm -hmm. but they're kind of comparable products. What, what was your experience like with that? Uh, pretty easy. Outseta, I would say, does a lot. Um, their authentication is pretty robust, so you can do a lot of stuff with that. Um, I most of what I have is right out of the box. It's not much customization. Um, the other stuff they have, so like if you go to like at benefits, you'll see in the bottom right there's a chat. It's as it's as minimal as a chat widget goes. Like there's basically nothing you can customize about it except the, like a text and um but it it's something they have some email forms their email forms weren't you know i wasn't able to customize the email forms enough to um use them so i'm actually using webflow forms for my for my things but uh the authentication met my per met my needs and you can do some really cool stuff um with uh with the front end api um because, uh, you know, by, by just, you know, custom JavaScript. So I should be able to, once I start focusing on the dashboard for users that are logged in, uh, write a pretty cool 
you know, script that has a single page that all users go to, to see mm-hmm. their list of employees and the stipends um, and pull that in dynamically from the front end API. So would you say it's like kind of a little more powerful or robust than member stack or is it bringing anything to the table that member stack wasn't, or did you just want to diversify? So you're not married to one platform. The number one thing that it brings, there are two things that it brings in, but the number one thing is, man, everything, when someone signs in, they go into my CRM because outside is my CRM too, for like benefits. Mm. I can see whether, when someone logs in, when someone doesn't, because they have everything and they've configured everything in a way that integrates with other tools like Slack. If someone logs in, I can get a Slack notification. Um, there's there's some pretty cool things that are just really easy to configure. Um, and then because the CRM is tied in, you can access the CR, you can ex- access the CRM properties as, let's just say uh, I take a call and I want to edit the CRM. The CRMs are, uh, you know, properties are tied to uh, the actual users. So when I update something on someone's CRM profile, I can make that accessible to the front end API. And so there isn't this, it's almost like my database is the CRM. Yeah. Cause normally you'd have your CRM, which is your internal system of record. And then you'd have like an admin site that you'd go to actually edit the live data for the user. I see that as being really convenient, but that also makes me a little worried like that. It, it, as soon as you start hiring people and stuff like that, I could see any number of pitfalls with this where someone like leaves a note that's like, this guy's an asshole. And then it like shows up in their account or something like that. <laughs> yeah, that's that's true. Like you have to, I, I don't know what sort of permissions they have uh, around that, but I, I that's going to be probably a problem if, if there's not a way for you to basically limit other outside of users in your uh, uh, company from doing things that affect the use, what the user sees. Yeah. That would be a problem. Because that's the type of thing in my experience, when you set it up, it makes perfect sense to you. Like this field, they can see this field, they can't. It's but not as scalable. soon as you start, yeah, as soon as you start hiring people, they like it's very hard for that institutional knowledge to make it to other people. Totally, totally. But uh, that's kinda, great. Yeah. So wrapping up, uh, I think outside of so far so good. Uh, you know, I'm I'm happy. It's meeting my use case just fine. Yeah. Um, I do think that uh, I, by the end of this week, I'll be I'll have leg up benefits in a place where I can sort of set it and forget it again. And then I was thinking about it. I really right now, um, I really leg up benefits is in a great place when I have clients. But I'd really like to get it to where I'm spending maybe a day a month on leg up benefits. And it's like this is the day that I do all my check ins with all my leg up benefit customers. It's when I make sure billing's going okay. And if I have any time left over after that. I work on the product um, and the leg like up health product, the leg like up benefits product, like a benefits. Okay. Yeah. So like I basically one day a week is that one day a month is that dedicated to leg like up benefits and just progressing it. But I could see this, you know, basically having this at a place where it's like set it and forget it and work on it when I work on it very minimally uh, for the next year. It kind of feels to me as a, as an observer watching you do all of this, uh, I've, I've observed this from other like early stage founders as well, where you, you can't see the future and you don't know it's going to work. And so you kind of have to place multiple bets to see what's going to work. But I think the key thing that most people who end up growing it quite a bit bigger do is once something's working, you just put all your chips on that bet. 
Mm-hmm. So I could see one world where like leg up health just has much easier distribution than, or sorry, leg up benefits has much easier distribution than leg up health. And that's your whole go to market strategy. And I could see another world where like the individual plans just eclipses it and you basically put it on life support. I could see either of those happening. Yeah. Yeah, totally. My experience from last quarter is that, or last open enrollment period was that if I market leg up health and that's my primary marketing focus, some percentage of the of the leg up health people that I come that I meet are going to be business owners, and those business owners are going to want something to offer their employees. I'm I'm making leg up benefits the minimally viable something for the, to offer those people that as a lead generator for leg up health. If it's nothing more than that, at the end of the day, great. If it turns into something else that's bigger down down the road, awesome. I, it may, but that's probably not in the next year. Yeah, yeah. Cool. Um, all right. Well, that's exciting. So marketing, like you're basically, it's time to start growing stuff. It sounds like. Well, I mean, I got to finish this stuff. Yeah. Up. But I've you got, said by the end of the week, you, you expect to be yeah, basically done with it. I hope so. That's a stretch. Um, okay. So, uh, but yeah, like July is the, I've, I basically have till the end of July to be not working on, uh, marketing and then it's marketing the rest of the year. Gotcha. Cool. All right. Um, so What's up for with me, you? Yeah, for me, a uh, couple updates. One is I realized I'd been talking, I'd been giving updates every week on how I was. We were in the process of hiring a developer. Then when we actually hired someone, I like kind of forgot to tell <laughs> to say that out loud <laughs> yeah. on the podcast. So yeah, we we hired a developer. Uh, he's starting August second, um, and comes in with. I think some interesting experience that complements the rest of the team, um, like more like low level backend server type stuff, which he won't be using with us. But I think it'll be nice to have that. It, like almost everyone we've hired thus far has been entry level. And by that, I mean, like fresh out of college. Uh, this is the first developer we've hired in quite a while who has worked somewhere else and learned how they did it. And I'm I hope like that'll kind of cross pollinate a little bit and we'll get some new approaches and ideas and best practices and stuff. So I'm, I'm big, looking forward to it. How big of a, t- a development team did he come from? Um, I don't know if you've heard of uh, Google. Oh. He came from <laughs> no, yeah. <laughs> uh, d- didn't work there for a long time, but um, yeah. it has some experience that no one at our company does like working at a real legit tech company like Google. So, I mean, not like Google, it was Google. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> That's awesome. So, uh, and is, is, uh, are you going to add another developer or is this sort of, did you, I think you were thinking about maybe doing more than one hire. Um, how did you make the decision to do yeah. just one? And do you feel like this is sort of set for a while and you can move on to other things? I think there's a good chance we will recruit for another developer maybe later this year, early next year. Um, well, we based, so we weren't thinking about hiring two people when we started this round. And uh, as a result, we kind of did like guerrilla recruiting. And by that, I mean like, we didn't do the full post all the job listings everywhere. And all, we mostly just went to referrals and I reached out to a few people on LinkedIn. And so it was a pretty small pool of people to consider. Um, and we didn't, I think we can hire another person soon, but I wanted to like, I feel, felt like we owed it to ourselves to go through the full process because we might be fixed for a while after if we make another hire. So yep. that's a long way of saying we made one hire, probably something like later this year, we'll, we'll try to make another. Cool. Congrats. Thank you. Yeah, looking for it's it's so much fun. Every time you hire someone, it's just like, you know, endless potential and opportunity. You know, it's really exciting. And it changes your company. 
Mm-hmm. It changes it, especially yeah. at your size. The nerdy, like, description of this I've heard is, and I've probably said this to you before, but that a company is like an immutable object, like when you're coding, which is to say, like, you can't change, you don't like insert, you don't edit the company and bring a new person in. You copy it and make an entirely new company that includes this other person. Um, and yeah, obviously, hopefully, uh, the change is for the better. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> what else? Um, I just wanted to, I've, I've been tweaking some of our internal documentation. So we use Notion uh, at the company for like our wiki and stuff like that. We have a lot of, they're basically like internal blog posts, just kind of explaining our philosophy on stuff like that. And I've been going through and cleaning some of it up a little bit. And something that occurred to me while I was doing it, a lot of our wiki content and just document internal documentation, I think it was like bad because of this influence of like change being reflected in the document. And that probably doesn't make any sense. So let me explain what I mean. We would have like policy A and we would decide to change it to policy B. And when I wrote up policy B, what I would do is I'd write it from the perspective of someone who's used to policy A. And so I'd write all of this, like, here's how we used to do it. And here's why that was wrong, yada, yada, yada. And then I get to the point, it'd be like, here's like two sentences about the new policy. And that makes sense in the moment because it's like, well, we got, you know, 18 people or whatever who are used to the old way and they need to know the new way. But then you hire that 19th person and they're like, why did I just read like 10 pages about shit that doesn't make any sense to me to get to those two sentences? Yeah, this feels like uh, I, I just recently learned what Git was. Mm-hmm. And it seems like when you write a commit, if if every time you wrote a commit, you kept like your comments for every commit in the code versus... <laughs> you know, a separate place for like, Hey, we made this change. Here's some notes around this change in a separate place. That's a very interesting analogy. I like that a lot. And that this is like probably, uh, I hadn't quite thought of it like that before, but yeah, one of the magical things about Git is you have the current version and you have a log of the changes, but that they're not intermingled. Yes, Yes. I like that a lot. So I've been kind of coming to that same realization for our internal documentation, which is like, So when the pandemic started, I started sending out a a newsletter to all the employees at the company once a week. Every Sunday, I just email out like various things. Uh, At the end of every month, I kind of say, here's an update on the financial numbers for the month. Here are new policies. Here's something someone's working on. Here's a question we're deliberating on anything. And what I've started doing is the, the wiki articles are much simpler and more straightforward and just about current stuff. And then in the newsletter, I'll do the full write up on kind of the change management, like Here's the philosophy behind it. Here's why the old approach was breaking and stuff like that. So the same contents out there, but the newsletter just van like disappears. Like no one's ever going to see that again, and it's left our internal documentation being a lot cleaner. I think. Yeah, but you lose the hey, you know, you lo- you lose the explanation of history when you need it, um, which is a downside. But probably, I would say, if you have to choose between those two extremes, you're probably making the right trade off there. But it wouldn't be. Like it would be nice for if you wanted to remember, oh yeah, like what's the history of our decision making related to benefits? Um, it'd be nice to be able to call that up, especially when you get in a hot debate five years from now around, <laughs> you know, what your current situation is. Well, let's talk about where we've been on this and why we made the changes that we that we made. I guess you have an archive of your email, so it's not that big of a deal. Yeah, and I actually I post the company newsletters in Notion. Like I send an email out that's just a link to a Notion document. Having said that. I don't think there's a good way to uncover any of that. 
Like this actually might be something that Rome or something like that would be better at because you could potentially kind of, I guess you could do this in Notion, but like link the link the core wiki article back to all of the relevant updates, back to your GitHub analogy. Mm-hmm. It's very easy to do that in Git. Um, yeah. It's probably I'll not worth honest, the effort. I think it's probably not. And I actually think it's a little bit of a liability, like in the sense that a lot of the times it's two step forward, one step back. It's like something's getting worse, but something else is getting even better. But I I don't want to like highlight the thing that got worse. So for example, like early employees got this profit sharing deal, which gave them upside that new current employees don't get. Current employees get paid way more, right? It's like a better trade-off for them, but I don't necessarily want to like highlight to them Look at how you no longer get the profit share. Yep. But anyway, yeah, I think the the Git analogy is really helpful, and I'm going to try to incorporate that. But also, I'm just, I, I think this is leading to a clearer framework for thinking about communicating with people that there's what is the current status, what has changed, separate the two, and allow the what has changed to sort of fall away after the current people have read it. So, yep. yeah. Once people are through the change cycle, the explanation of change is less necessary. Yeah. Um, what, uh, while we're on Git, um, is there a chance that you could spend some time with me to help me understand it? Cause I know I like, I, I had to do use it for a tutorial I was working on and I have no idea what's happening. I just know that I'm typing stuff into the console and it's happening. I just don't, I don't know. I don't know exactly what. <laughs> so some point I'd love to, I don't think that's probably a podcast topic, uh, but I would love to understand exactly what is happening. And I probably, there are tutorials online that I'll take, but if you could help shortcut that sometime, that'd be awesome. Yeah. I actually have a Git presentation that, um, because we, as part of our recruiting, we partner with the women in computer science student group at WashU. Uh, and we like spot, we sponsor them and in return we get to like give a presentation. And so I kind of asked them like, what's the thing that everyone knows they need to know that nobody understands? And Git is the answer. Every intern we've ever hired, they come in and they're like, I've like committed one thing before. Like schools are not preparing people for this at all. And so anyway, it, it's like a super confusing thing that is really valuable. So super, I have a presentation I can give yeah, you. Yeah, <laughs> that would be awesome. Having said that, I don't use the command line. I'm like such a bad nerd. I want like a gooey like a you know a user interface for everything so i just point and click on the github desk desktop app oh that's nice i don't know if you've tried that but it might simplify things for you well if i don't have to use the command line that might i think visual visually i would much prefer that so if, if i yeah. don't have to use the command line that's amazing i think there's like this weird nerd culture that like real programmers use git through the command line and i just don't really there are like rare situations where you need to do something really sophisticated and you like the the GUIs can't do it, but uh, I think that's pretty rare. Interesting. If you're non-technical and you're listening, command line is if you go to your like window icon, um, if you're on a Apple, and I have no idea, I mean on a, on a Windows computer, um, I have no idea what it's like on an Apple, but it's basically that terminal that you pull up or command line is sometimes what it's called. And it looks like a bunch of gobbledygook. Um, <laughs> yeah. And a GUI is basically, think of it as a graphical user. It's, it stands for graphical user interface and it's, a way to basically just like you create a word document, do things that make code. It's a lot, of, it's very similar to like no code, um, how no code tools work. And so you can do a lot of the things that traditionally were done on the command line through user interfaces now without having to go to the command line. Well said. Yes. <laughs> cool. What else? 
my only other update is uh, Bracken, my brother slash co-founder, is in town next week. So, you know, pre-pandemic, he would come in two to four times a year, uh, you know, just connect with the team and a mix of work and play. But uh, obviously he didn't for quite a while due to the pandemic. And so this is his first time coming back. And this is your brother. And this yes. is, uh, he. he's in Boston usually, right? Mm-hmm. That's where yeah. he resides. So that's a kind of a big deal. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Uh, there are a couple people on the team who haven't met him other than virtually before. Um, and it's a good time to like work it's actually perfect timing because I think the best work that he and I do together is workshopping and brainstorming like designs, um, like just lock ourselves in a room for hours at a time and be like, we have an okay design. How do we make it really, really good? And we actually, I've been designing recently, so I've got a ton of stuff for us to talk about and yeah, it should be a good time. I love it. That's <laughs> always fun. I I think what's happening right now, It's this is just an observation. I feel like there's this massive like purge of vacation, uh, the opposite of purge, whatever the opposite of purge binge. is. A binge, <laughs> yes. Like all these, because it's opening up, I feel like no one's working. <laughs> well, yeah, we gave uh, everybody, so nobody was taking vacation the first half of the year because they were saving it, like seeing a light at the end of the tunnel. So I don't know if you remember, we gave 10 extra vacation days to everybody if they, but they had to take them in the first half of the year. That was the rule. Mm. Um, but as a result, now people have 30 vacation days each the second half of the year. So when you look at the vacation logs, there's a lot of vacation going on right now. That's awesome, though. I mean, it's good. We, it's healthy. It is. I'm, I'm nervous though. We're we're in Missouri, which is you know ground zero for this Delta thing in the states. Um, What's the Delta thing? The Delta variant. Mm-mm, I'm not familiar with it. Basically, there's a new wave of COVID coming right now. That oh, really? is, it's worse in Missouri than it's ever been. It, it ever was at any point during the pandemic. Oh wow! Um, or is the vaccine parts effective? So yeah, that's the the weird thing about it. I shouldn't say weird, but like in the past, when one of these spikes happened, it was like, well, obviously everyone needs to care about this. Now, my impression is like 99 percent of people who are dying from it are unvaccinated. Uh, but it is the vaccine's not as effective as it was with the original strain. So it's like, you can still get it and transmit it. You're less likely to, but the vaccine. So it's kind of like, what responsibility as a vaccinated person do I have? Even if it's, there's virtually zero chance of me getting hospitalized. Is it irresponsible to be a spreader of it? I don't know. It's tough. That's a, that's a, I don't want to have that conversation on here. (laughs) Sure. Well, anyway, um, Missouri, I think is worse than any other state. So like, we're all kind of like at the same time, like back to normal, woohoo! And then also like, okay, we've got another week of doing this, and then we're gonna have to go back into lockdown, probably, or you know, whatever ends up happening. Man, yikes! So, yeah. Well, uh, I I've been doing my daily coding practice, uh, which I've mentioned that I've been trying to like do just a little bit, just like you exercise on a bike, um, maybe for thirty mm-hmm. minutes, do a little bit of coding every day. Man, it's really helping. It's amazing how much muscle memory is starting to develop and that I'm getting more confident with things, figuring things out that I didn't know before. And then just going further and deeper and getting and and being able to solve bigger problems. So I just wanted to, and we've talked about deliberate practice on here a lot in the past where it's like, oftentimes we just do things without deliberately thinking about how to get better at them. Um, because 
it's fun or because it's something that we have to do. I'm doing this because I want to get better. And I, I just wanted to ask you, what are like some ways that you have found as someone who's coded for a long time to get better at coding and or maintain your coding skills so that you, they don't go stale? Um, mm-hmm. Or is this like riding a bike where if I just stepped away from this for two months, um, I'd be fine and be able to pick it back up and, you know, no problem. Yeah, I mo- mostly my answer here is like, I don't know. I haven't done a good job of this. Um, I do. Last winter, I talked about the advent of code, which is a fun little, like every day in December, they give you a little coding challenge. That was a fun way to stay sharp. But I haven't been good about practicing. And what I've noticed is the skills that I used a lot when I was like full-time coder. Mm-hmm. So like when I was at Zane Benefits and then early days of Less Knowing CRM, that's like backend stuff, PHP, MySQL, and then generating HTML and CSS. That was is like riding a bike because I had so much practice. Like I still, like this summer we have someone in the coding fellowship who's a little more advanced and I'm mentoring him and I know every single little bit of it. I have not lost a step at all because I was so good at it back then. Because you mastered it. Yes. Whereas as, as I was transitioning away from being a developer, we switched to starting to use React on the front end. And I'm the one who initially like set it up for us and learned it and got it working. But a year or two later, I had mostly stopped coding. And so I, at one point I was very good at it, but I didn't like practice it to your point. And I still know all the concepts. Like if you asked me, how do you architect a React app? I know. But if you asked me to sit down and write code, I, I could not write a single line of React without looking at the docs. Yeah. Um, okay. So I think it, you're probably not at the point where you can stop practicing, but I think at some point you you get there. Cool. That's 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 a good point. I hadn't thought about reaching that point of mastery um, and just trying to get there as quickly as possible. Um, so that yeah, that's interesting. People talk a lot of self help people talk about that concept a lot, where it's like once you hit, you don't want to stop practicing until you hit mastery. But once you hmm. hit mastery, it's okay. You can start mastering something else. Interesting. And yeah, to your point, like when I did need to learn React, uh, just working on a little toy project has always been how I've approached it. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's hard because, you know, you can work on one of the challenges with being an entrepreneur. And this also applies to any hobby, I think. So it's like you can invest your time trying to get good at something that like maybe doesn't matter or you can invest your time into get like growing your business. I, I always like start trying to learn something and then I get 10 or 20 hours in and I'm like, why don't I invest this energy into the actual business? So yeah. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Yep. I hear that. Well, cool. thanks. Uh, <laughs> that didn't help me much, but it was, yeah, sorry. It was, it's one of the, I think what I'm realizing is I, I just need to keep doing something on a regular basis until for, for a while. And I'll know when I'm like, okay, this is not useful anymore. One of the challenges for you, I imagine, is that your product doesn't need you to keep working on it. Whereas for me, like, there, you know, yeah, there were times where I'd go into marketing or whatever, but I always needed to keep growing the product because I knew it was like it wasn't there. You could get away with just stopping working on the product for like a year or two and it wouldn't matter, right? Yep. So I wonder, could you make up? projects like just make your product stupidly good in ways that don't matter but like <laughs> where you're at least working on your actual business yeah i think that there there is um i think that there are, there are going to be plenty of opportunities to automate things um productize things um and and 
wow, kind of create those wow effects mm-hmm. um, for people. And uh, I, I think that that will be that that will provide plenty of practice uh, for the next year. And I don't need yeah. to worry about it past then. I like that. What the, this guy I was saying who I'm mentoring through the coding fellowship. I just in our one on our last one on one, he's he's like very sharp and learning all this stuff very quickly. And he we finished and he's like, "What's the next thing I'm going to learn?" And I kind of said. I think you should do what you just did 10 times, like implement it here and there and there and there until you can do it in your sleep before you learn the next thing. So I actually, even if your projects aren't new things for you, just getting that muscle memory, I think would be great. In wrestling, uh, the best wrestlers have three moves, but they practice Mm. them thousands and thousands of times. Uh, I, I never got that. I was always like super interested in learning all the new moves. Um, and it wasn't really until my senior year, I was like, oh, I just need like something to do when, like to take someone down, something to do when I'm on top (laughs) and something to do when I'm on bottom. And, uh, as long as I'm good at those three things, it's pretty rare that someone's going to be able to beat me. That's interesting. You're full of uh, little metaphors today. Oh yeah. You know, what's (laughs) interesting. Um, since I've been writing aside here, one of the benefits of writing, I, I have noticed that I use analogies more in speech um, to explain things because I've been practicing writing for, uh, for the last year. Um, and because uh, I've been reading about writing and I've been reading a lot too. So hmm. I don't know if that's, I think a lot of good writers use a lot of analogies. You know who the king of this is? Stephen do King. You listen, well, do you listen to the out of beta podcast? <laughs> that was a joke. Yeah. I got you. Yeah. My last name's King too. Mate. Why, oh. why wasn't it me? <laughs> <laughs> True. Uh, do you listen to the Out of Beta podcast? Uh, yes, with Matt and Ma- Matt uh, Wensing. Yes. Yeah. He makes up an analogy for every single concept they talk about on that podcast. It's so impressive, but it is, it's like a good way to uh, like think about the fundamentals of a problem rather than like the specifics, I think. Yeah. yeah and uh, Stephen King's, my favorite line from the Stephen King book about writing is, uh, writing is the closest thing that we have to telepathy um, (laughs) with other people. And most of like that really special telepathy moment is through analogy, because that's how you get into someone's head. You let them compare something that you see to something that they know uh, vividly. Um, And uh, so, yeah, I, I, uh, I I totally agree. Cool. Well, keep it up. More, more analogies, please. The get, listeners demand it. <laughs> I, I didn't think you didn't expect a Git analogy today, did you? I did not <laughs> expect that. I'm actually surprised you're even using Git. We, well, you got one. I got one. You got you got a, a Git analogy. No, but I'm surprised you're using Git like oh for your code. Uh, like what are you're doing? I was, no code, I was doing a tutorial on. Ah. Uh, I did a. I set up an AWS serverless app with authentication, working through an AWS tutorial and it was all command line stuff. And uh, it, took, it was wow. just something I did for fun. I'm feeling extremely insecure right now because like, I don't know any of, I haven't done any serverless stuff or anything like that. You know, it makes me feel better that I don't ever have to do that to build something because that was awful. <laughs> it is, like It's so clear that Amazon's strategy is, hey, we built something for ourselves. Let's do, minimally like, make it usable for other people and sell it for a lot of money. Yeah. And I know people use it really powerfully, but I what what people don't appreciate, I think like the the younger generation of developers, it was so much easier to build 
a like a web app from scratch 10 years ago. Like so, so easy. And now if you want to do it, it's like, well, you have to know React and you're probably going to use TypeScript and you're going to use React Router and you have to do all these NPM module bullshit and you're probably using Laravel and you have to learn how that works. And it's like, back in the day, if you just knew one coding language, you just run it on a server and that would be it. Oh, I'm sounding like a grumpy old man, but <laughs> it used to be so much easier. <laughs> um, um, speaking of podcasts, I've been taking a break from them. Um, I've been walking without headphones and I don't really miss them. Really? Mm-hmm. Like it was just kind of mindless, like like addiction more than actually getting good content out of it? I, I think it was the opposite problem. I think I was getting great content, but it was distracting and using my brain resources on a revigorating, something I was using to revigorate myself to focus on mm. traction. So when you're on a walk or whatever, you should be recharging and you're not if you're listening to a podcast. Well, you heard it here first, folks. Turn off the podcast. Stop <laughs> listening to us. That's interesting because I normally listen to podcasts when I'm in an otherwise relaxing situation. But is it possible that's specific to you that like you're drained by it, but maybe I'm not, I wonder? I have trouble listening to things passively and just going, huh. I have a urge to to act on things, mm-hmm. um, and maybe that's something I can change. But I, I, the other thing I think that happens is I use my walks to transition from or recharge for the next thing. And if I don't get that recharge, I'm less productive on my next thing. And so I think uh, it's not necessarily walks and podcasts are bad. It's walks in between two important, mm. uh, you know, activities with podcasts are bad for me. Do you think there's a difference between, so I kind of have two categories of podcasts. I have founder podcasts like this, which I recognize are a little more exhausting. There's just a ton of content and like they're very specific and you kind of have to pay attention. And then I have like more entertaining podcasts. And my two main ones for that are Pivot with Scott Galloway and Kara Swisher, which like, I I think they're both idiots, but like they're funny. And uh, My First Million, which again, is like the content is, I don't care about it all, but it's like super entertaining. Do you think maybe that type of thing or even something unrelated to business entirely I think would let I, you recharge? Yeah, I, I think um, the thing that helps me recharge is like letting my mind wander um, yeah. and you know being present in the moment and not being distracted by anything other than like, you know, oh, there's a tree. Um, oh, there's a dog. <laughs> uh let myself you. think. Yeah. I don't know. That's just me. Um, I miss podcast. I, I don't miss podcasts on my walk, but I, st- I don't know where else I'm going to listen to them. Um, so I don't, I'm way behind. I have a queue that's building and I don't know what to do about it. Yeah. I, al- I also have that just by virtue of like, I subscribed to too many and I can't keep up with them anymore. Mm. And I know that feeling where, yeah, you're like, there's good stuff in here, but am I going to like, this is the same reason I never got into Clubhouse or Twitter Spaces is I'm not going to like devote an hour every night to listening to this when like that means you're not hanging out with your spouse or, you know, doing whatever else you'd be doing. Yeah. And I think that's where reading comes in for me. I if I'm at if I'm, it's seven o'clock at night and I've got some time to myself and I do have energy for something, I want to read a book. Mm-hmm. I don't want to listen to a podcast. Um, I, if I given the choice between those two, I'd rather read. I think you're the opposite. I'm the opposite. And especially, uh, I like to go putter around in my yard. Hmm. Like I have 
intentionally decided not to spray any like weed killer stuff, I like pull the weeds up manually. And I'm just like wasting time listening to podcasts and ripping little weed sproutlings out of the ground. <laughs> Man, you are, that is the biggest forcing function for exercise I've ever heard of. And it's like you're, <laughs> between your Peloton and your weeds, you're going to be in great shape. Yeah. <laughs> Bad well, pulling back, weeds, though. like, it's, I, I pulled a bunch of weeds at Bear Lake last weekend. And it, I mean, it's exhausting. It's so satisfying, though. Yeah, it's true. When, when you got a big one and you rip it out of the ground, I don't know. I'm so old. If, if me from five years ago heard me saying this, I'd be incredibly disappointed. <laughs> yeah. In a year, you're going to have a, 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 you're going to be paying for someone to come do that for yeah, you. Yeah, probably. Probably. Um, cool. You got anything else? Uh, nothing urgent. You want to talk about uh, the low code? Yeah. So the context here, uh, Rick and I talked about this a little bit on Slack earlier this week, but so we've got this, Less Knowing Serum has this coding fellowship where we teach people to code. We also have a little bit of it that covers low, uh, no code. So really that just in this case means using Webflow, like it's not getting into any of the more advanced no code workflow things. Um, but they are kind of like, so some of the fellows I think are like, no, I, I need to know how to code. Like I want to be a programmer. I, mean, I need to focus on learning how to code. And I think some of them are like, like one person has a business already and she's like, I want my website to be a little more advanced than it is. And it's pretty clear that no code slash low code is the way to go for her. Um, so some of them are interested in the low code path, but they don't, it's kind of hard to visualize, I think, what do you actually do with this? Like, okay, you've got Webflow, you know how to code. What do you do? Like, what are the patterns you can follow to make websites really badass with those skills? Mm-hmm. So the, the the core question I have for you here, which you've already said yes to, and I appreciate is like, will you give a little lesson to them or whatever, or, or a little talk or record a Loom video or something? But we figured we'd talk here about just going through what are some use cases that you can talk about and teach them. Yeah. So t- what's what's like, how much time are you thinking for this? Um, and what, uh, do you want it to be like a broad over, are you looking for like a broad sampling of, hey, here's the different things you can do with examples or is this a, Hey, let's, you know, let's dive into a very, you know, one tool and show all the capabilities of that one tool. I probably broad. I think this is more about inspiration than actually teaching. Okay. Uh, The assumption I have is they can go learn that they're all smart. They can go learn this if they want to, but they don't know what to go investigate. Yep. Um, I already recorded a Loom video for them because I, I don't know any anywhere near as much about this as you, but I have a Webflow site and I wrote like 11 lines of custom JavaScript to get ConvertKit working really well with Webflow. And so I just recorded a little 10-minute video explaining it. Um, I think like just more examples like that would be really useful, uh, especially getting into more tools. Like how does Airflow... Uh, uh, Air, table, sorry, Airtable work into that. How do different form tools, like I only have Webflow and ConvertKit, but like more tools. It's so it's, it's sort of like, uh, do you have a list of use cases that you want tools for? Or is it use cases? Here's some use cases for low code and no code. And here are some tools for each of these use cases. Yeah, I think that, and honestly, they don't even need to be like generic examples, like just exactly what you're doing just to kind of get people's okay. brains going, yep. I think would be fine. I don't think cool. you need to like prepare a whole different set of content. And yeah, I would do it probably live with Q and a, um, because I, I think I have low confidence on what would be useful. So mm. if, if I could start with, with uh, something and then pivot it pretty quickly based on interests, that would be helpful. And how many people are there? 
There are six, and then me and Malia would also attend. So cool, and you guys would help, uh, iter- like, guide the conversation if everyone was quiet. Yes, it is. Th- they will be quiet. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, I like the remote thing, but man, presenting to people over Zoom is harder than in person. Oh, you got to incentivize. I I look forward to seeing you do this successfully because okay. I can't. <laughs> oh well, I'm, I'm I'm relying on you to provide the incentive. Oh, okay. Well, I'll, I'll, uh, if nothing else, I'll be a, a captive member of the audience. There but. we go. <laughs> so yeah, what are some, like some things where you're like, I did something really fucking cool with just tools and limited or uh, no coding. I can tell you what mine are, but we've talked about them to like the 10th, like too much on this podcast already. Sure. Um, I asked my little brother this question because uh, I was like, Hey, like what, what are you interested in? He couldn't think of anything. It's really hard to come up with. I want like just ideas of think cool things that you want to do mm-hmm. when you don't really know what you can do. So, you know, I guess like, how do you, how would you, how, how do you have any on your, on your mind? Yeah. So, okay. User authentication, which you just did, just the idea that you can like have users log in, I think is very cool. Protect content. So Protect, I would, I would yeah, say yeah, like, yeah. Yeah, you want, you want to have, uh, user, you want to allow people to sign up for your, for, for a service or a product and and be able to show them or do things with them because they signed up. I don't know. Like, yes. So, okay. Like yeah. selling, di- selling digital goods is basically what that is. But yep. yeah. Um, I think like what you've done with Airtable is very cool. Like having a database, having a backend uh, that, you know, so that plus Zapier. But again, it's t- to your point, like what's the actual use case? I I think maybe you just need to show your actual one because... I don't know, you could make up a hypothetical and someone fills out a form and it goes into Airtable and then you use that to go into member stack and then use that to, I don't know. I, I, yeah, yeah, it's, it's all made up. <laughs> yeah, it's all it's hard. I, I like uh, protecting content. E-com- setting up an e-commerce site is kind of interesting. Like Shopify's, you know, simplifies that significantly. Um, I don't know much about that one, but I can I can probably find something. And I think I'm most interested personally in like, connecting multiple services together. I think that's ah, where it's like the it's the, it's the, it's the low code and no code chain. Yes. Cuz I think everyone can be like, "Oh, I could go sign up for Shopify and like follow their tutorials and get a, a site set up." Um, but I think where people including me, where my mental, where my creativity breaks down is like, "Okay, I've got I've got these 10 different tools, but like I don't actually understand how I can use them together." Yeah. Uh, it's sort of like thinking, "Okay, I've got I'm using one tool. How can I extend it mm, to do yeah. things that it wouldn't be able to do otherwise? I, I have a process for how I would go about thinking about what, what are the th- different things I could do. It starts with, does it integrate with Zapier and ends with, does that, you know, does this thing have a, some sort of API that I can mm-hmm. hack into? Yeah. Forms yeah. are almost always going to be, I mean, that's how you get user input. Mm-hmm. Airtable is how you store data. Member stacks, how you authenticate. Yeah, leveling that all up on top of Webflow. I think, yeah, just a, an overview of that, I think, would be amazing. Cool. Yeah, when do you want to do that? A uh, couple weeks, if that's possible. Okay. Yeah, tell me, will you, like, let's just put, put, I think putting something on my calendar is probably the yeah. best way to force me to get it done. All right, I'll, uh, I'll, we'll talk about this. We, we don't need to work out yeah. the logistics right here, but yeah, I appreciate that. Um, and yeah, if anyone listening has, like, cool no code use cases and you want to uh share them with our fellows either personally or just send me an email and i'll share them with them uh the more the merrier totally 
Yeah. And I, I, I'm interested in cool things that inspire cool things you can do with no code that inspire people to learn no or low code. Um, I would love to be able to go to my little brother and say, look at this cool thing you can do with low, with no code and low code. Don't you want to learn it now? Yeah, no, I love that because I've tried to teach a lot of people how to code. And my experience is if someone already knows what they want to build, learning how to code is easy. Like, you know, it's uh, necessity is the mother of all invention or whatever the phrase is. But yeah, getting someone to learn how to code where they don't have a goal in mind is very, very difficult. Virtually no one in high school or younger or even college or younger has that use case in mind yet. Mm -hmm. But if you could be like, you can make this, I think a lot of a lot of tools do this with video games where it's like you want to make a video game for yourself and you need to code a little bit, but like this is more of a make a website type equivalent of that. Yeah, it's like when you become an adult, you're like, I want to make money and it's super yeah. <laughs> motivating to build something that makes money or you want to have more time. So it's super motivating to build something that automates and gives you more time or makes you more productive. But you don't have that as a 15 year old. Yeah, we we at one point like literally taught actually two semesters. I say we someone on the team, I didn't do it, uh, went to a high school and taught two semesters of coding. And this is literally why we stopped is just none of the kids were interested. And yeah, I get it. I wouldn't have been interested then either. <laughs> but what no, motivates well, kids these days? Uh, I don't know anything about kids. You're, <laughs> you're about to, I guess. <laughs> yeah. I, Oliver's not quite aware enough yet to be motivated, except like yeah. when he sees a bottle, he's starting to grunt a lot. <laughs> I think it means you're, he's hungry. <laughs> you're like getting him to grunt for the uh the terminal window like <laughs> no you need to use git oliver <laughs> yeah do you remember ben diltz's story about how his parents got him to learn to code no i've never heard it okay th- this is ben diltz is the founder of lucid chart who rick and i used to work with um i could be misremembering because you know it's been a long time but my memory is he had a big family like 10 siblings or something like that And the rule was you get like 30 minutes on a computer per day, unless you're coding, in which case you steal it from your siblings. So if you're just like a jerk who doesn't like his siblings, which every kid is, you can like punish your siblings by coding more. That's how I remember it. He said he coded all the time and he he had the computer all the time. Yeah. And he's the best programmer I've ever met in my life because he was just as a kid, he was like, none of my siblings are ever going to touch the computer. (laughs) I'm probably making that story up, but that's that's how I recall him telling it. <laughs> that's awesome. That's awesome. Well, uh, anyway, are there any other topics or should we call it? I wanted to, we can talk about this more if you want to, but um, I have you read Anything You Want by Derek Sivers? Do you even know who Derek Sivers is? Uh, I know who he is. I read your okay. notes on it because okay. you sent him out in the newsletter. Uh, yeah, back in the day, he was like one of the thought leaders for business. Really? Okay, yeah. So I, I just discovered him recently and... Man, he's like you before you. Like he was he founded CD Baby in nineteen ninety eight and he owns hundred percent of the company and he ran it super weird and like he sold it in two thousand eight and gave all of the money to charity or like no, he put it in a trust and basically that trust he can't touch. It just pays him five percent a year and when he dies it goes to like music like uh nonprofits to benefit musician independent musicians just a weird dude um yeah but he's, he's out there yeah but but like kind of like you in a way just <laughs> in, by weird i mean different um and, and different in a good way the, the, you know he 
his main point in the book is if you own the company, if it's your company, you can make it anything you want. And I, uh, I, I found myself, you know, hearing you a lot while I was reading <laughs> the book. And I, uh, I, you know, one of the things he says is create a utopia at your business. And I feel like you've created your ut- utopia. Every, everyone has their own utopia and a business is a great place to do that. And I think like I was trying to explain to someone recently why, why startup to last is the theme that we talk about in this podcast. It's not necessarily, I mean, you're anti VC. It's not necessarily that I'm anti funding or anti VC. It's that I'm anti someone telling me how to run my business. And I, um, and that's what startup to last is really about. It's starting up a company that you control and that you can make your utopia. And that's very different. Um, my utopia is different than yours. Um, mm-hmm. And I thought he had some really succinct uh, just tidbits on uh, reminding uh, people that when you start a company, you can do whatever you want to. But the minute that you raise funding, you can't. Yeah. In 99% of the time. Yes, there are people out there who probably are exceptions to the rule, but it's very difficult to do whatever you want once you bring on investors. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I'm not I'm not opposed to raising money f- f- generally speaking except that like well what does that lead to? Um Did it does the book when when was it published? Was it like when he was at CD Baby or is it more recent? I believe it was 2011, so like 3 years after he left CD Baby because it was like I think he went through a pretty dark period um where he basically just went through sort of a base camp moment where he and his yeah, that's what I was going to ask about. Yeah. yeah. Did, did he address that in the book? Oh, yeah. Um, okay. Basically, he showed up one day and his employees had a mutiny. And yeah. He had to go. He, he basically kept running the company and never saw, never talked to him. And just kind of. They all just left and he just no, kept they running. Kept running They're doing the job. He ran. He was the owner of the company, did his job. And then I, the way I understand it is he wasn't liking his job anymore. And he had to decide, yeah. you know, does he fire people, replace them? And he decided to sell the company as a result of that. So that's what, uh, w- like, while you were talking about the utopia thing, I'm like, I don't, am I rem- remembering the story wrong? Because, yeah, I thought he had that period, like, he didn't build a utopia, right? Uh, he, yeah, and that's a lot of his lessons are um, around, he did in some, in many ways, he built the business he wanted to build, but he did, he made some mistakes. And I think a couple of the things that he, I may have mentioned this on the, uh, podcast, but one of the things he did that he feel, I think he didn't outright say this, but his his lesson is delegate, but don't abdicate, like give people responsibility, but don't, don't give up the power of your business. That's That's, great. um, And that's, that's kind of the same thing as you can do that with funding. You delegate share, you know, ownership of the company, you abdicate, you know, ownership of the company, you lose the ability to, you know, you know, create your utopia. I think he did it in a different way. He de- he over delegated um, right. power to his employees, and it led to, to a situation where I don't know it was fifty verse or, or, or eighty people versus one, um, and he yeah. became the, the the sort of the bad person in the group. I mean, it you you made the base camp reference. I'm not sure how seriously you thought about that, but I actually think it mm. has like a lot in common with it. Which again, I, I used to read his blog back when he was still running CD Baby. So like, that, this is me recalling old stuff, but it seemed like 
his utopia was not managing people. And similar to the Basecamp founders, fundamentally, I don't think it's that their political views are wrong or anything like that. I think it's that they don't want to be a managers, but they are. Yep. Um, and I do think that the whole build your utopia thing is very interesting, except that if you look up the definition of utopia, it's that it's impossible. Like that's <laughs> actually built into the definition. It's fictional. Yeah. And yeah, like the, the same way raising money is good, but it comes with this dark side. Hiring employees is the same way that mm. like you have to take on that responsibility. We've We've been keep talking about this over and over, but I think this is such an interesting thing people don't talk about as much as like what you're committing to when you hire someone. What he, he does make the, one of his other points is you can make your owner role, whatever you want it to be. Um, now I think what he, what, what he doesn't address. And I think what you're bringing up is if your owner role isn't to manage people, someone's got to, yeah, you, can't you, just not have, you a have to, yeah, you have to <laughs> hire someone to do that. Right. Yeah. So, um, that's a good point, but you don't have to have employees. Sure. Right? Like you can make that choice too. It's um, probably less of a utopia though. If, if you don't have employees, then you're doing all the work, which uh, could be great depending on the business. But I think a lot of people want to delegate that stuff. Totally. Totally. Yeah. One of the, one of the things is you could, you know, one thing he says is you want to avoid the delegation trap. Um, the delegation trap happens when you're so busy doing um, everything yourself. You don't have time to get to empower people to help you. Um, and really the goal with delegation is to get people, you know, get running the day-to-day business off of your plate so that your full-time job is improving the business. And then you can, you know, whatever you're doing to improve the business is stuff that's in your wheelhouse. Yeah. Um, so yeah, and you can't do that. It's really hard to get to a place where the business is running without you if you don't have employees. It's the restaurant owner problem. Mm-hmm. I complain all the time about every restaurant is so poorly run. And it's like, that's because the owner is like behind, like in the kitchen cooking the food it's like someone needs to get online ordering working here. It's 2021. <laughs> Make <laughs> <Yeah>. some time. <laughs> the best restaurants are the are multiple uh, are restaurants uh, that are part of an ownership group, and the owner owns multiple restaurants, and they're and he's running from each you know each one, improving each one, and everything else is taken care of. The running yeah. of the restaurant is taken care of. Um, we've got a guy here in Draper who's just like got a couple of places. It's just, they're awesome. I know exactly um, the type of restaurant tour you're talking about. Yeah, yep. we've got some of those here. Gosh, I had one more thought on this before we we signed off and I've lost it. Let me just see if I can think of it real quick. Oh, um, you were saying that uh, you can't have employees without the dark side. Like um, I, this is completely a, a, a separate book, but I started, have you ever talked to, uh, read Alan Watts? It's a British philosopher. He wrote mm. a book called, uh, the wisdom of insecurity. It's recently recommended to me. Um, but he talks about how the paradox of pleasure is that you can't have pleasure without pain. Yeah. And the paradox of pain is you can't have pain without pleasure. So, uh, the happy, the, the more pleasure you want, the more pain you have to be willing to tolerate. And, I think employees are a perfect example of that. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Entrepreneurship in general is yes. where like there's that scene in Wally, which I haven't seen, but I've seen the scene of it where there's all the like fat humans on there. Do you know what I'm talking about? Wally. They're like, At the end of Wally. Yeah. Uh, the Disney movie where yes. they're like on their recliners, like watching TV yep. and they have all their needs met. And like, I don't even know if they say in the movie, because again, I've just seen this clip, but the very, very strong implication is obviously this is not happiness, right? Yep. <laughs> um, because it's too comfortable. Yep. So yeah, that that resonates a lot with me. I've been thinking about that more and more. Also, like when we're 
when you're talking about making a utopia, that's another reason why a utopia can't exist is if, you know, if everyone's just paid a lot and you only work one day a week and whatever, uh, certainly employees could go find satisfaction in other places, but the satisfaction you get from work has to have challenge and that type of stuff built into it. Yeah, it's I haven't gotten through the whole book. This book's one that may take me years to take notes on because it's so dense. It's like pretty thoughtful. Um, but one of the other one of the other tidbits he shares is that uh, I'm going to get this wrong, but it's bas- he basically <sighs> he talks he, he basically says um, I can't I'm not even going to try to do it. To give up. <laughs> All right. Well, um, keep, keep us posted as you keep reading. I, I, yeah. I, this whole topic of fulfillment, hiring people, and responsibility—all of this is interconnected, and I'm super interested. It's in it. so interconnected, and I, I, uh, I wish there was more time. I wish you could like pause time and like dive into some of the philosophical. Like some people have spent their entire lives thinking about these things, and it can help you. Uh, the upsides of employees. I'm, I'm having a moment right now where I'm realizing that the upsides of employees are totally worth the pain. And I think I've been particularly um, intent on avoiding that. And as a result of avoiding the pain associated with employees, I am missing out on a huge, huge benefit. Yeah. just kind of popped into my mind. Well, we're going to talk about that more in Mm -hmm. a future episode, right? Yes, we are. It's on my list. Perfect. I like it. All right. If you'd like to review past topics and show notes, visit startblast.com. See you next week. See ya.